DevCom Podcast presents the Fireside Cast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast series, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, I'm very excited to have not one, not two, but three guests with me to talk about mental health and related topics with a focus on the games industry. From Safe in Our World, an organization focused on mental health awareness, we have Elle Ocelie Wood, one of their patrons, and Matt Murphy, one of their trustees. Also, I'm happy to welcome Samantha Ebelthite, Country Manager, UK and Ireland at Electronic Arts. It's a pleasure to have you all here. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Hello. Thanks so much for having us. So yeah. since we have three guests right now and, uh, you know, some of our listeners uh, might not be familiar with, uh, with you and your roles, uh, why don't we start with a little bit of introduction? So how about, L? you start uh, talking a bit about your background and, um, uh, you know, how you got involved with uh, Safe in Our World? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very upset to hear people aren't familiar with me. What is this? You know? <laughs> Maybe they are. I, I didn't want to, you know, I, I wanted oh, to give gosh. you the credits you deserve. Yeah. But I, I assume all my fans case, are yeah. attuned. <laughs> so I'm Ella Sillywood. Um, I'm a TV presenter. I specialize in kind of entertainment and video games. So I've worked with, uh, I, I largely work with the BBC and BAFTA, where I also sit on the games committee. Um, I also work with Ubisoft, Marvel, PlayStation, um, people like that. And uh, yeah, so I was approached by Safe in Our World to to kind of join join in with the work that they do, and it's something I'm really passionate about, and I've really looked at, you know, how games can do good, but also how we we have kind of um, a reasonable prevalence of, of mental health issues in our industry, um, and how it can kind of lend itself to them. So I was really keen to to come on board and support the work that they do. Great, and thanks for joining us today again. Obviously, we're going to talk more about Safe in Our World. Maybe leading over to Matt, uh, also from Safe in Our World. Of course, yeah. Thanks, Lars. So, um, yeah, my name is Matt Murphy. I am, um, I suppose, my day job is I'm the CEO of a company called Gemba Digital. It's one of those companies you probably don't know about. We work in the background, so we're a digital distribution company in the video games industry. So, I've been in the sector since 2017, and prior to that, for the 10 years before that, I ran healthcare technology businesses, most notably a company called Emis, which looks after about 40 million patient records uh, in the UK. It's sort of the largest clinical IT company. So I came across and um, and a a chance meeting with the the now chair of Safe in Our World, a chap called Leo Zullo, uh, who's the MD of Wire Productions. That was at the UK China Joy Trade Mission. That's where we met and that's how I got involved. He was bringing Safe in Our World together um, and I wanted to be in from the start. So uh, that's how I got involved. Great. And before we, like, again, before we go more into that, Sam, why don't you uh, talk a bit about yourself and uh, your yeah. role at EA? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, obviously, I'm only here because I'm a fan of Elle's. Uh, no, I'm really <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's <laughs> what brought you here. Right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm, um, I'm the country manager at Electronic Arts, so covering the UK and Ireland. Um, general manager, country manager, it's kind of the same thing, really. Um, I've been there two and a half years, and before that, I wasn't in video games at all. I was actually more in kind of FMCG. So I started my career at Unilever, where I was there for about five years working on ice cream and frozen food, um, which ice cream was a brilliant category to work on. <laughs> then a kind of opportunity arose at GlaxoSmithKline, and I moved over to that company. And 
um, was more the consumer goods side of things rather than sort of pharmaceutical um, and had a really, a really fantastic career there, really enjoyed working for them. Um, and then I was looking for something new and I was looking for an industry that would kind of be a bit um, different, kind of get some new experience and uh, found the role at Electronic Arts. And I couldn't be happier in terms of finding an industry that is aligned to my values and my, my purposes and my beliefs. I just think it's um, it's great fun to work in an industry that essentially sells fun, you know, and uh, gives people enjoyment, but also connects people in such a way. So, um, yeah, it's it's been the best move I ever made and I really enjoy it. I already see the the title of the next uh, DEFCOM talk, like from ice cream to video games. <laughs> yeah. my, my, my I and... mean, the perks of ice cream were good. I'm not going to lie, but uh, but perks of video games are pretty good too. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. It's definitely two things I'm very passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks for the cool, for the quick interest. Um, um, how how about we start with a little bit of what uh, Safe in Our World does as an organization? At least we have two uh, people representing uh, the organization. I already said in the introduction that uh, it's about mental health awareness. Um, uh, and uh, maybe, uh, you know, El Matt, you can talk a bit about, uh, you know, what you do, how you support the industry um, and, uh, you know, the services that Safe in Our World provides. Okay. So, uh, shall I start, El? Um, yeah, that's fine. So I think the, the aim of the charity, um, we, we were founded last year, September last year. Um, and the aim of the charity is to, like you say, to raise mental health awareness in within the video games games industry, but also the worlds that, that our industry influences. So um, players as well as people that work in the industry. We're very keen to sort of uh, eliminate the stigma that surrounds mental health to make it a natural topic of discussion. Um, so that people are comfortable and aren't afraid to reach out for support in our industry. Um, so practically, I suppose, what does that mean? Well, we, uh, we're building up a huge sort of uh, signposting resource for um, employers and employees and those that are involved in the, in, in the games world, really. Um, so those you know, the best available resources um, internationally. We also source uh, sort of dedicated industry games um, resources and services that are going to help employers and employees. So things like we developed um, a, a mental health toolkit, which we launched in May as part of our Level Up Mental Health Pledge campaign. Uh, we developed that with Rethink. It's a free of charge thing for employers. It helps them to sort of embed the right culture and values related to mental health in their organizations. We've uh, worked with a partner to develop some uh, mind fitness training specifically for our industry. So starting with mind fitness for publishers, we're trying to pick on sort of specific roles or specific areas of the industry because they might have uh, unique requirements in terms of the best way to approach work and fitness at work. Um, so, you know, we do a lot on that and then we, we, we'll, we'll always back and support and promote the best mental health related initiatives in the industry uh, and in broader industry uh, to hopefully to, to make our industry you know, a better place to work, a safer place to work uh, for everybody involved. Great. Yeah, Does that give you a bit of a snapshot? Absolutely, thank Sorry. you. Elle, maybe you can uh, can add a little bit to that from, from your side and, and your involvement with the organization. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was really comprehensive and I think, mm -hmm. Kind of one of the things that I really love that Matt kind of touched on there is that it, it one of the things Safe in Our World does is really addresses the fact that 
ours is a, a hugely growing industry. It has a hugely growing audience. You know, as we become more mainstream, more people are being kind of brought into gaming, whether that is to work, whether that is to, you know, join the industry, or whether that's just as a player, as somebody who loves games. And so I love the idea that, you know, just from the name alone, Safe in Our World, it's about, you know, addressing some of the issues our industry has, addressing, you know, some of the issues people have with mental health and the fact that it is it is kind of a, a hidden issue, I think, of the games industry. It is something that, you know, as we've seen statistically recently, more people struggle with in our industry, you know, than than average. And so it's it's the idea that as people are welcomed into our industry, it can be a tough one it can be you know a, a difficult place to work and it can be somewhere that sometimes it's quite difficult to just be a fan of games you know we do have problems with our audiences and so it's about making sure people who who you know discover gaming as it becomes ever more mainstream are safe in our world and that's something that i've really appreciated it's not just inward facing it is addressing you know outward facing issues as well right so you have different roles at safe in our world you have patrons you have trustees maybe you can elaborate a little bit on on what those roles are and uh, how they interact so uh, the trustees, we have a trustee board. There are nine of us, I think, at the moment. Um, and the trustees takes, a, I suppose, a bit more involvement in some of the decision making. Um, and at the moment, you know, we're recruiting our team. So we're, when we get the chance, you know, <laughs> outside of working hours, shouldn't really be saying that, should I, um, given the, the work-life balance uh, dilemma. But we we try and get, you know, a lot of the work done, We whether that's liaising with um, uh, partners or handling inquiries that are coming in or building the website and things. So we're doing quite a bit of hands-on work, which probably isn't the ideal uh, role for definition for the trustees, but we're really passionate about getting things up and running. And from, from my point of view, the patrons and ambassadors are equally as important because they are the people who are out there in the industry that can promote the positive messages and um you know that those people can have a huge amount of influence um out amongst everybody so yeah really great stuff to have people on board so sam you uh are you already working with safe in our world uh, at electronic arts or are you you know having similar initiatives that you support within the organization i'm just curious uh, you know how you guys uh, get to know each other yeah no i i i'm not 100 sure if we're doing anything as an organization but certainly my experience really was actually hearing about it on this podcast you know joining this podcast mm -hmm. but then i have also looked on the website i think the the stuff that Safe in Our World is, is trying to achieve is is really, really valuable, really valuable things. Very aligned to my personal um, values and beliefs, actually. But um, Yuki, obviously, play a big part, and we work very closely with Yuki. So I think it's something that if we're not already doing, we're probably going to hopefully do a little bit more with Safe in Our World because it's a very, very worthy cause. Yeah, I can certainly encourage it. I mean, uh, I, I got to say this on the side of my day job at, uh, within the Embracer Group and uh, Koch Media in particular. Um, yeah. We've also partnered up with uh, Safe in Our World and uh, uh, we're very excited to be able to offer our family of studios that we have uh, in our group uh, the ability to you know work with the resources provided by Safe in Our World, uh, especially in, in tough times like these where there's a global pandemic and you know people have to deal with things that they didn't think they would yeah. have to deal with in, in this year. Absolutely. Uh, There's so much, isn't there? We've all been through such a crazy situation um, that never, you know, has there been a time where you need organizations like this more? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully something we can get more involved with. 
So, El, you mentioned before that um, the games industry is, is more affected by mental health issues than other industries are. Um, what are your thoughts? And maybe not to, not only to you, the question, but to, to all of you three. Um, why do you think that is? What is it? What is particular about the games industry that we have more people being affected by um, mental health um, issues? And, and, and uh, why is it so much more important to uh, raise awareness for the topic within our industry? Well, for me, I think one of the things I've always thought about the games industry is it's it's that kind of um, problematic classification of play as work, you know, so and that kind of breaks down into two different areas. So first of all, it's the idea that you're doing a job that sometimes, you know, can feel compared to what we have grown up thinking of as a traditional career or a standard job. It does feel very different it, it can be a lot more casual it can feel a lot more fun you know the perks are really great and so it's easy to um let yourself overwork it's easy to let yourself believe perhaps that you're not being as productive if your job involves you know a more informal environment that's centered around video games which is something that we've we've kind of you know many of us will have grown up being told are you know a hobby or a pastime or not very serious and so you know it's easy to not take yourself seriously in that industry to not recognize that you're doing real work or that you are you know overworking because you know it's it's a silly job it's a fun job it's you know people think of it like that you know it, it, and it, obviously that is absolutely not the case yeah. it is it is a job that in fact requires extraordinary hours and we see you know extraordinary overwork far greater you know working weeks and than is average in the uk in the games industry you know it's so it, there's that kind of side of it and then there's just you know for me i always think the idea of um it being a kind of dream job for a lot of people means that you kind of force yourself to burn out you know i know personally i've stayed in in roles or, or worked on projects longer than i should have because you kind of think to yourself well you know millions of people would love to do this this is a dream job i'm so lucky to be here and as we know that's of course always one of the roots of taking advantage of workers of yes. creating you know really untenable work situations because you say to them you're so lucky to be here. This is a dream job. You work in video games, you know, and so it, it kind of creates this dangerous environment in which you perhaps don't take yourself very seriously. And at the same time, you're you're so aware that other people would love to do what you do. And it creates this this environment that I think is really predisposed to to burn out, to being taken advantage of as as an employee. And, you know, and that's obviously for many people, that's the base of mental health issues. You know, it, it, that's you know, your work is so profoundly, you know, for many people who you are and it's where you spend what can feel like most of your time that, you know, when you end up in that kind of environment, that is, of course, immediately incredibly dangerous to your mental health. And so, you know, that for me is a, is a really big part of, of what makes the games industry so predisposed to, to dealing with mental health issues and why they hide them. Yeah. I mean, I it's not like the agree. UK, by the way. I, I can I can definitely see it in other countries as well, all all over the world. You know, very similar um, observations. Uh, I think uh, so. It's uh, unfortunately <laughs> not only limited to certain uh, areas, but uh, more an industry wide issue. Sam, I, I, I think say, you want to. Say yeah, something. I I couldn't agree with what Elle said more. And I think when you have that, you have some amazingly creative geniuses that work in the industry that come out with these fantastic ideas that you just wonder how they've come up with but on the flip side of that that you know you also then have people that could potentially burn out and not recognize you know that they're doing this thing that they're passionate about and they, and they love what they're doing 
but they might not recognize actually sometimes you still need a break from that even if you love it and even if you're passionate about it um and you know i hear all the time people that join us and and come into the business how much they love it and how much it is a dream job but um yeah you then just need to also recognize that it still is a job and you still need a break uh, and that's not easy to recognize sometimes so, so would you say it's an organization's um, job to make sure that they protect people from themselves <laughs> so they, don't, <laughs> they, they don't get too passionate about things because i mean l you mentioned that sam you mentioned the same thing there's a yeah. lot of you know very passionate people getting into the industry wanted to to prove that they can do they can be the next um you know triple a developer who's, who's releasing a game uh that uh you know makes them famous all over the world um so is, is, is that kind of an issue that organizations need to be very very careful about this and yes. uh, and it's sometimes triggered by the people themselves <laughs> it's a good one i think it, it depends i mean i'm very fortunate at working at electronic arts that we have so many amazing support systems in place you know great benefits great opportunities to tap into and and get support whenever you need it um in so many different ways it's not the same for everyone if you're in a smaller organization you know those resources aren't always there but but the way people approach it can be And I think that's probably more important than anything is working with people that can support each other. Um, so you can work in a big company or a small company, but that's probably more important than anything else. So, yeah, I think it kind of is an organization's responsibility, but more than an organization, I think it's actually our people's responsibility to look out for each yeah. other. I think that's really insightful what you've both said. I, I think as well added to that, and I, I'd completely 100% agree with it. I think added to that, there are some sort of broader societal sort of factors that influence it. So if you looked at, they say, the UK uh, census, the UK industry census, um, you know, we're a very diverse sector compared to other sectors. So we have much more um, gender diversity than others, more sexuality diversity than other sectors and even and ethnic diversity than other sectors. Alongside that, we've got quite a young working population as a sector. And I think the other factor is that social media is a huge part of our work as well as our lives. And I think all of those factors, I think, can contribute to um, anxiety, depression, stress levels for individuals in society. So I wondered if sort of the demographic of people that work in our industry So it lends itself to, 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 to the outcome. You know, we saw in the UK survey, uh, the UK survey, 31% of respondents say they live with anxiety, depression, or both, which is way above the UK average of 17%. So, you know, it might be that the industry influences that statistic because of the passion and the, and the work hard, play hard mentality and, and the, the, the crossover between, um, you know, a lifelong passion and work. But it might also be societal pressure, you know, the wider pressures on people, um, which is affecting them. So I agree completely with what's been said. There's just so many things that are at play, aren't there? Well, it's it's obviously a very complex topic, you know, to to talk about in so many different different aspects. Um, so Sam, you said that uh, regardless of the size of the organization that we talk about, you know, everybody can do something. Because in the end, it's a, it's about people, and it, it couldn't be more right. You know, obviously, organizations are built uh, by and and with people. Um, but what do you think uh, organizations can do in general, being being the big or small? Um, are there certain training initiatives that uh, that you, for example, run at EA or uh, LMAT? Are, are there things that um, 
um, uh, Safe in Our World that you suggest um, to companies that they can do regardless of their size? Because obviously an EA or the company I work for have, have more resources than smaller indie developers, but they, they all uh, you know struggle with the same challenges. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I think, um, I mean, EA is amazing in, in the resources that are available. There is, um, there's an app called Mental, uh, sorry, Modern Health we can use. And in that you can have a personal coach, you can even have a personal therapist and it's all confidential and it's all, um, you know, you can pretty much unlimited. So it's amazing that kind of offering. In our Guildford office, we've got 350 people and um, we've been doing a lot with mindfulness. So we have mindfulness coach come in, she'll hold group sessions, she'll hold individual one-to-ones. Um, and anyone in the office could tap into that. And there's, there's lots of kind of initiatives they do. But um, admittedly, you know, some of those things are more available for a bigger organization. But say you have a studio of only four or five people, you tap into the industry things. And one of the things we did recently through Yuki was um, just shared the fact that there was mental health first aid training available, um, which I think, Matt, I think you touched on earlier through Mind Fitness. And um I, I just shared it internally and said, if anyone wants to do this, you know, um, this is available through the industry. And the feedback was phenomenal. So, yeah, there is plenty of resources that you can use. You just need the right people to make sure that um, they're available, that people know about them. They know where to go to get help. And that's that's what I think we need to focus on. And for, for smaller developers, for indies, I mean, we have a lot of uh, teams that are just two or three people working on a game. Um, sometimes, especially in, in this time right now, with, with the pandemic being more disconnected um, and, and then potentially struggling more uh, with mental health uh, issues. Um, what are the opportunities that uh, that these teams would have? Um, uh, what are the suggestions that uh, that you would have for them in order to deal with those issues? So we will we. Um... Yeah, my business is only sort of 20, 25 people, so it's smallish. Um, but, you know, we benefit, we take advantage of the Safe in Our World uh, training, you know, implement some of the uh, the toolkit advice. The um, the way that we've shaped the training, because I was directly involved in the in the, the shaping of the training with Rethink and with a, a Mind Fitness training partner, so we make it available to organizations that might want to buy it blocks of training sessions for multiple people or we can make it available to individuals and we've had a lot of inquiries from influencers and online gamers that are reaching out and saying well you know i don't have a, i don't work for anybody i don't have an hr department i don't have a line manager but i have to deal with lots of the same issues so so what's available to me and so we made the courses all public as well so um people can join on their own and pay sort of i think it's about you know 90 pounds for the for a training course for an individual it depends on the price of the course i think um but so we're trying to make it so that it, it's available for individuals or it's available for groups of you know maybe a couple of managers or a couple of areas that are particularly relevant uh, or it's available for, for big uh employees i'm particularly keen on how it supports smes and startups uh, because that can be mega stressful and they don't have the infrastructure. Um, so there's lots of available resources. If you go via um, Safe in Our World or if you go to UK, you know, UK's got loads of stuff that's available. And it's not just our country. We, we, we had an approach from a, um, a company in Australia um, who do 
uh, a sort of similar thing. They're called Checkpoint. I don't know them. They're Australia or New Zealand, I think. And they're a similar organization. So we're looking at how we can partner with them. You know, they've been doing those kind of things for longer than we have. So we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We just want to offer what's available for people and give them access to the best the best resources that are available. Are you focusing on Europe in general right now, or are you trying to provide the services on a, on a global level? We'd like to provide them on a global basis, but naturally um, our focus at the moment is, is, is in Europe, just because that's where a lot of the uh, relationships are, and that's how we've started off. But our, our aim is definitely global because we don't see that as, we don't want that to be a constraint. Um, and so, uh, you know, we'll reach out for partnerships in different parts of the world and try to try to latch on to great ideas that are already in existence. So I've already touched a, a couple times on the COVID-19 situation right now, which is certainly a very challenging one that uh, we've never experienced before. Even our parents haven't experienced, uh, experienced something like this before. So what do you think is the impact on um on our industry in particular on people on their mental health i mean there's there's some very obvious things happening uh right now but uh what are your experiences from both from from your company's points of view and, and then also on a more general level i think just for me you know switching off is just much harder isn't it you know it's I do a job that, you know, whilst I, I work from home a little bit more than people perhaps think, um, you know, in general, my, my role is I go to a studio or I go on set or I go to location, I film, I go home, I'm very much done, you know, whereas here now I'm, I'm available. It feels constantly to people and particularly, you know, I do not work with the US. And so, whereas previously I would have been flown to the US and I would, adapt to that kind of time zone and I would do the work there and then I would come back instead now I'm I just stay up into the night and 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 host you know in literally in the early hours of the morning or you know and so it's it's kind of that separation between work and life it, it's very obvious but it's that is for me the kind of fundamental thing that I'm I used to be kind of very strict I need to be very strict for my mental health you know I switch off at 6 p.m or whatever and you know I'm finished and I'm finding myself because my work is is kind of stretching out and becoming you know slightly uh, less scheduled less you know um nine to five I, I find that i am in turn kind of loosening my personal restrictions on that and so i'll okay fine i'll answer an email at 7 30 at eight at nine i'll maybe do something before i get up and i've worked out which is normally what i do to kind of you know again something else that i do as part of my mental health plan and i'm like oh i'll just email and then the next thing i know i've answered you know 10 emails and now it's time to start working for the day and and so it's just for me it's that kind of shifting in the, the really clear boundaries I'd created for myself to make sure that I'm always, you know, working an appropriate amount, resting an appropriate amount, you know, taking a break from work. They're just all becoming blurred. And I think that that's something I've kind of had echoed from friends and colleagues is, you know, that it's, it's just really making work bleed into your life in a way that feels as if you can't really escape it, particularly because we are quite literally working from home. Um, I, I'll just to build on what you just said there, I think it's really interesting because if anyone ever said, you know, oh, I don't want people working from home, it's because they think that their home life's going to encroach on their work. And actually, the opposite is true. It's work encroaches on your home life and you end up doing longer hours because you justify it by saying, well, I'm not commuting, you know, and I'm only sitting in my kitchen or whatever to do this. And uh, you don't recognize that you're actually working longer hours 
probably sitting on video calls all day. <laughs> so that's definitely my life is a lot of video calls. Not allowing breaks because you think, well, I'm only sitting here. I could just do them back to back. Normally not allowing any time to stop. And then on top of that, so many people have had children and families and, you know, other things to focus on. So it's been really, I think it's been fascinating. And I think I can see it in the people I work with that there's that, there's some people have loved it. Some people have hated it. And most people have been through both of those emotions at different times. Mm. Um, yeah. I certainly have. On, on one hand, I'm like, I'm home with my four-year-old and I have been for six months. How lovely. I've never spent so much time with her. Um, but what a nightmare. She's on every call that I have. And, <laughs> you know, it's amazing she hasn't come in and joined my podcast, this podcast so far. Um, it's, yeah, and I think I, I've watched it in my team and I've watched them go through all those different emotions and coping mechanisms. And it's it's been quite an interesting experience. I, 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 I would echo that, Sam. I think you're, you're spot on there, Arnel, with what you said, you know, again, really insightful. Um, I think one of the things I reflect on is that most businesses, certainly in our sector, haven't been designed to work this way. And most people didn't accept the jobs to work in this way. And so, you know, we're only a small team, so maybe it's easier for us to have a handle on every employee, but a number of them don't have appropriate working conditions at home. You know, you say there's children around, there are, um, you know, all kinds of issues for them. And so I think the key thing is that you've got to have this sort of two-way dialogue, haven't you, between the employer and the employee. You've got to acknowledge that both of you have never dealt with this before. You know, the employer as well. You know, the employer will get things wrong. We tried to go back to the office. It was too soon. We tested it with the guys. Didn't want to do it. We we, we pulled out of it and we're going back again later. Um, so you've got to have that sort of two-way street haven't you to see what's right for me and we were trying to look do for the welfare of the team give them that interaction particularly for a particular project um but i do think yeah it's unprecedented in so many ways and it's unnatural to a, a lot of people um so you just talking and and being open about how you're feeling about it is it's just critical isn't it would you say it's more difficult to have a meaningful social interaction when you're connected remotely? I mean, obviously, we're all, you know, social beings and uh, and most of us at least enjoy being around other people and, and being in the office. So um, what, what does that component add to um, the mental health topic, like not being able to connect with somebody in person? I mean, we're, we're doing this remotely right now, this this podcast in an ideal world. You know, we'd be sitting together in one room and record it and, and, uh, and then have a very interesting conversation. I still hope it's very interesting for our listeners, uh, even though we do it remotely. But uh, but what, what kind of component does that add to, um, uh, to, to this? I think I've, I've, one of the things I found most interesting during this is, is that it's kind of split two ways. So for someone like me, I, I have quite bad social anxiety, which is hilarious for a presenter. But um, I so I've genuinely quite enjoyed um, a bit more time to myself, a bit more time to kind of, uh, you know, I, I basically as soon as lockdown happened, I went and moved in with my family. I have a really big family and we all kind of came together and moved in together, which I really loved because I travel all the time for work. I never see my family and I've enjoyed actually taking a step back because I, I'm someone who has to socialize a lot for work. I host lots of events. I go to lots of events. I'm, you know, constantly around people. And for somebody like me who really struggles with social anxiety and really, really, you know, I, I'm um, 
naturally quite shy. I, one of the reasons I'm a presenter is because I love being distanced behind a lens. So, <laughs> um, so I've actually really enjoyed it. But then because games is so collaborative, you know, the other side is loads and loads of my friends are saying that they're, you know, absolutely the, the this huge thing that they struggle with is they just miss the buzz, the energy of being around people day to day. And it's really, I've had a, literally a big discussion in my friendship where kind of half of us are like, it's actually been really quite nice to step back and, and not, you know, have to socialise so much and perhaps be a little bit more introverted than you would naturally be in our industry. Because I think it is an industry that is quite gregarious and quite social and, you know, um, collaborative, as I said. And then, and then the other half who are just desperate to be around people who feel that their creativity is curtailed by not being able to bounce ideas off people day to day you know not being in that kind of environment where everybody's pooling their best ideas and and, and coming together to create something from that and so it's it's for me been really interesting to see kind of the the two sides and the one thing I guess it's kind of taught me is that perhaps our current working system uh, our workplace system isn't really working for anybody and it's it, that what we're going to need is more flexibility one way one way or another whether that's people want to work from yeah. home or people really you know need time to come in and uh, and bounce ideas off each other yeah that's a feedback i get the most from um the studios i work with within our group i mean those are all like relatively uh, large studios like 100 to 200 people and when i talk to the leadership team there uh there was like we, we need to figure out what the best solution is because usually they have like at least half the people that say well we actually enjoy um working from home and having the flexibility to do that we see our families more we get to spend time with our kids because you know for the most part especially in the beginning it was it was uh you know nice to to have that opportunity at some point if you have a four or five year old you know then you might want to go back <laughs> yeah. to to work uh, to the office but um you know I, I really feel it's very important that uh you, you take a look at your team and uh, and what what the people on the team feel is the best for uh for the organization and what i've seen over the last, past couple of weeks um is that um most um studios are at least considering to not going back completely not not moving back to the way it was but also not going like 100 percent remote all the time because they they fear um, about uh, the the social connection, uh, the culture, the, you know, the the team component of, of all of that, um, and, and I think that uh, is very exciting to see what happens within our industry, not only in our industry, but um, but in in many industries around us, um, how organizations are kind of reshaped uh, going forward based on the current situation. I think also people have been pleasantly surprised by how much we have achieved working from home. Um, I think that could never have been predicted, and that that. That's the same for both studios, where it is more challenging to work from home because you do need certain equipment and tools that it is not always easy to do from home. But it's still, overall, the whole industry has been more productive than I think anyone could have realised. And certainly we're we're no different to what you said, Lars, at EA. We're assessing whether we really would go back to a being in the office full-time situation yeah. or actually, would it be more like half the time? Um, and the nice thing about that is we can all talk about how it would work best and then come up with a solution that works for everyone. So say we do go back in, we go back in together on the same days. So you get that social interaction, but then we have certain days where everyone works from home and you get the best of both worlds. And I, I can see many, um, many industries as well going in the same way, but certainly many companies in video games, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's an opportunity for leaders to be better leaders actually through this, right. because it makes them, it encourages them to talk and to listen to their teams when as previously they might have seen it as, you know, I'm the leader, I've got to do what's right for the business. But when this scenario, because what, what, what I've sort of viewed it as, 
every individual person is is confronted with the same risk. So we're now seeing how people deal with risk-based decision-making, and that's not something that everybody's used to doing, you know, because we're, and and you, when we reached out to our team to ask them about how they felt about coming back to the office, you got a range of responses, very, very personal responses, because they were viewing, trying to do exactly the same thing, go back into the office in a very different, or through a very different personal lens so that's why i say the two-way communication is good i think as a leader you can always do what's best for your business because you've got to think of the whole business you know you can't really do yeah i'm going to do every individual approach because you can't really then aggregate that up to a, a realistic business model but if you listen to people and you uh, and you have that trust in both directions i think people will be really supportive yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, Sam, you mentioned before that EA, you have uh, a lot of different resources in regards to mental health. Um, how, how do you deal with uh, the current situation with COVID-19? Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more what you as an organization did, how, how the current uh, rules look like within EA, how flexible people are uh, in terms of the, the way they work and, and what your current thoughts on the path forward is going to be. Yeah, so so EA's approach has been a very cautious one and one that is 100% focused on employees and their safety and also giving them the opportunity to look after their families and friends as they need to. Um, I mean, people that work at EA are absolutely blown away by the kindness, the generosity, um, the compassion that, that we've seen right from the leaders down. Um, and as line managers as well, people have been given good support and guidance as to how to help their teams. So things like things as formal as, you know, certain training that's come up to things much less formal, like saying, hey, you know, actually, it's been a month now since we've last spoken about it. Please check in with all your teams on how they're feeling. And I think, as Matt said, it's 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 quite individual. Everyone goes through this through quite a personal lens um, and they might be feeling um, one way, one month, and then the next month feeling totally different. So, so yeah, so that's EA's approach. So generally, um, I mean, certainly in the UK, our office is as closed as much as possible. We have very few people going in, uh, working there, but we've tried really, really hard to support people with um, a good setup at home. So there's been funding available to make sure that you've got a good setup. There's been equipment moved from the office to people's homes to allow them to do as much as they can in their job. Um, there's been um, great guidance for managers um, on how to support your teams, but ultimately it's still very much a blanket message of the most important thing is everyone's health and safety. And, and that's that's where our kind of our stance is. Um, the other thing they've done that's been really nice and really pleasantly received by a lot of people is allowing time off to care for family and friends. So that's that's happened in a couple of stages. So initially it was a, if you need time off to look after children, for example, or to help with some shopping for a grandparent or something, speak to your manager and take that time. And it's not holiday and it's not extra leave you've got to take of any kind it's just an informal agreement that you agree with your manager to have that time to go and do that which was really really well received and then actually going forward to give it a little bit more structure now it's something you can book in the system so you can officially say i'm not going to be around on friday because i'm going to look after my child for the day um 
and that's amazing what a generous thing to do and it's been yeah really um people have been really really appreciative of the time that they've been given to to help look after family and friends you've got to think about the workload a little bit and and as teams we work through how we cover that but um but giving people that autonomy to make that decision for themselves yes. has been fantastic yeah, i think that's, that's a very important point that uh, it shows trust in the team that you have uh, that they can make uh, a good decision on when some things are necessary to be done and when it's time yeah. to take care of the, of the family how synchronized is that uh, around the globe? I mean, EA obviously is a, is a global organization. Um, you're the country manager for the UK and Ireland. Um, do you yeah. know how others do it? Is that uh, the same across the globe? Or do you have certain flexibility as a country manager within the wider organization on how you want to handle these topics? Yeah, no, it's been the same across the whole globe. The mm. only difference is where we are with kind of office reopening and and that's dependent on how the pandemic is in that country. But the same opportunity and compassion has been shown for everyone and even where offices have started to reopen if people are not comfortable or for personal reasons or or maybe health reasons or something that it doesn't work for them to go back in they don't have to go it's um it's always been about making sure that the people feel comfortable with what's being asked um so it does differ a little bit based on how the pandemic is in each country but the whole all the opportunities and the the compassion and the generosity has been a very much a blanket approach. So COVID-19 is obviously not the only uh, challenge affecting us all as a society and in, in, in the industry. Um, it, within the games industry, we have um, particular challenges all the time. Uh, and with that, I just want to go go back for a moment about uh, to the mental health topic. I mean, we have crunch as a topic that we often talk about. You know, the game needs to get done. Uh, this is the, the gold master date. Uh, it's got to be ready by then. And then, you know, one thing leads to the other. And all of a sudden, people are working, um, you know, over hours for like, uh, you know, seven months in a row. And uh, are completely burned out when a game is actually launched and when you're then trying to look into how you can build the, up this team further you know often uh, structures fall apart because they, there was just too much uh, uh, of a workload on people for for such a long time so how do you uh, how do you feel about this what can you do as um, a leadership team in companies of all sizes to um, make sure you deal with those topics, um, you know, early on and kind of, you know, I don't want to say keep them from happening because I think there's always in the moments that, that, that lead up to that point. But but how do you manage this um, so you minimize uh, this and, and minimize the impact that it has on mental health of people in our industry? I think, you know, I, one of the things that just needs to change in our industry is I think primarily just openness you know the the fact that you know we we have crunch that we have excessive secrecy which i think lends itself to to poor mental health you, you can't really go and talk to people about it the fact that we have an industry where you know you feel as i said before you feel so lucky to work here that you will accept you know poor working conditions a lot of that is predicated on the idea that we're just not very open people don't feel like it's safe to tell their work they're experiencing poor mental health or that perhaps they need safeguards in place to prevent them from experiencing poor mental health and so one of the things that i think has changed you know i've been in the industry for about 10 years and one of the things that for me i think has had the biggest impact is just starting to be more open about this issue is starting to accept that you know people mental health is just a part of health you know it's not this shameful secret it's not something that we need to hide away and you're not going to you know hopefully you're not going to lose your job by talking to your employer about it and so i think 
for me, one of the most important things any company can do is to cultivate an air of openness, an open door policy where, you know, somebody can come in and, and just talk to you about how they're coping at the moment, how their workload is making them feel, you know, if there are adjustments that could reasonably be made to support them. You know, I loved hearing that EA is offering time during this to just go and deal with life as it becomes ever more overwhelming. And that's exactly that. It's a tiny adjustment, you know, it requires a little bit of covering from the team, a little bit of, you know, rejigging, but essentially it's a really small, thing that a company can offer that makes you know very little difference to the company but a huge difference to how somebody copes that week if you know you know there are just tiny little adjustments that you can make like that that wouldn't be difficult for 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 a company to offer but they don't know to because nobody ever brings it up because they're terrified that you know should they talk about their mental health they'll lose their job they won't be considered for a promotion they'll you know because of this air of we're all so lucky to do what we do we're doing a job that loads and loads of people want to do obviously in the uk one of the problems we have is that we are just churning out people who are trained in, in game design and all the facets of game design with far fewer jobs than, you know, the number of graduates we're creating. So there is this sense that you need to be perfect all the time. You can't be open about how you're feeling because, you know, they'll bring in somebody else. There'll be somebody else who could do your job. And so just cultivating that air of you can talk to us. You can come and discuss this with us. Nothing is rigid, nothing is stuck in place. You know, this is a, a workplace where we want to be flexible and where we can make adjustments, I think is, is the, the very first step to, you know, creating a workspace where people are able to be open about mental health and are able to then shape, because every every company is different. It's going to look different for every company, you know, how they work together and how, what best mental health practice looks like in a company is gonna be different for everybody. But you can't get there unless you start by saying, let's be open about it, let's talk about it. I couldn't agree more with what you just said, El. For, for me, there's a question is how do we bring this message to people that are not aware of, uh, of this, that are maybe not as open um, as a leadership team toward, toward this approach? I mean, obviously for me, it's one of the most important things um, being in, in a leadership role that uh, there is, um, that people feel like they can be vulnerable and there is, uh, there is safety uh, around them. So when they want to talk about mental health issues and, and about uh, struggles uh, they're in right now, that, uh, you know, that I listen and that I give them, uh, you know, the, the feeling that I really care about them as an, as an individual and, and not so much as a resource. By the way, I, I hate the team, uh, term resources. <laughs> it's something I think we should change in general. We shouldn't. We should stop calling uh, it human resources. <laughs> For me, that is like a, the most one of the most horrible terms ever. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so how do you? how do you communicate this to the wider industry? Because there's still a lot of people that um, feel uh, like, yeah, well, this is about work and I don't care about, um, you know, people's uh, feelings and, uh, and their struggles, uh, obviously is something that I, that I don't respect much, but it still happens. And so um, what can we do? Uh, what's our mission together to, uh, to, you know, broadcast that message to more people? Well, we, we did the uh, Level Up Mental Health Pledge. That was the idea of, of, of the Mental Health Pledge that we that we launched in May. So that was a Safe in Our World uh, initiative. And that was really to try and get, get companies to commit to that pledge to make their working environments as safe, uh, as, safe as possible for, for their employees. I think there is definitely a responsibility on employers to communicate with their teams one of the things i picked up while while i was talking it was brilliant that response because um i think we i've never run a game studio but i've run software businesses for well over 10 years and so we've released software we've done massive deployment several thousand users and they're all extremely stressful tense time-based deadlines for projects 
And I think a crucial thing as a leader is to be able is to communicate that that pace is not the norm. That, that it, just like with life, there's an ebb and flow to work. Um, and that was really interesting what Sam said about giving the employees some something back and giving them some time. Yeah, because there will be inevitably be times with crunch when you need to hit deadlines and we, people do need to put additional time in but as long as everybody knows that that's just the temporary situation and and there will be you know uh, the, the yin to the yang you know it will it will calm down and there will be times to you know to to recuperate and sort of try and uh take some time for yourself and rest then maybe it's a, a little bit more acceptable you're not going to remove deadlines of launch dates and things from our industry that's the way it it that's the way it works but i think understanding that everything uh, ebbs and flows doesn't it because one of the big issues of mental health is this feeling of uh, an overwhelming or impossibility uh, mental health uh, frame of mind um, and so you feel that everything's too bad and if you feel that the pace of crunch is the normal pace there's nobody in any industry can keep that up um, no matter how fit you are or no you know no matter how strong of mind you are nobody can do that so maybe there's a responsibility on the employers to be honest and say it will be like this but it won't always be like this do you think there's more power with developers right now with people working for those organizations that they have more choice uh, to say no this is not the environment that i want to work in compared to maybe like 10 years ago where um you know if they wanted to work on a big triple a project um uh, with that uh, potential for their for their 15 minutes of fame you know that uh, uh, that they had to go with with a company that they maybe didn't appreciate the culture much of and, and is it is it better now I think one of the things that I really appreciate is the idea that, um, and this kind of happens across lots of issues that are being raised in, in games, is that whether or not a company believes in them, they have to they have to address them because the public opinion has has you know shifted enough that if you don't have a mental health policy, if you don't have a diversity policy, if you know all these kind of issues that we would hope people face that you know you kind of have to deal with it even if it's just to look good and for me you know that's um I don't want to say a positive thing because that sounds strange but you know the idea is that you're you know people are you're being left behind if you're a company that doesn't yeah. doesn't deal with this doesn't address it publicly and so you know for me I don't really care if you truly believe in it you know it, as you said earlier sometimes you know there are people who just don't care that people have mental health issues and they want their product out and they want it done and they want it finished perfectly and they don't care if you work you know 200 hours to do it but essentially you know we're getting to a point where you can't publicly behave like that anymore you know we've got brilliant investigative journalists who work in the games industry now who uncover this kind of behavior and you know abusive behavior that's that's what it is and so it, it's getting to a point where whether you believe in it or not you have to do it because because we're we're much we're much more mainstream as an industry where there's much wider scrutiny now people are more interested in the labor practices behind their games whereas perhaps before we used to just be happy that a game arrived on our doorstep and we could play yeah. it and we weren't that bothered about what was happening to people behind the scenes and so for me that's that's only a positive thing there are huge downsides to social media particularly within games you know it's not 
all brilliant and it, it is one of the kind of negative sides of our industry but one of the really brilliant things it's done has you know it, it shines a light on the dark corners of our industry and the things that people have tried to hide and just the, the, the really terrible labour practices that used to be and are still in some cases completely normalised you know we're starting to see that really exposed for what it is and so you know my hope is that you know as you said 10 years ago it was completely different and I hope 10 years from now you know everybody understands what goes into making a game and and exactly you know what crunches and why you know games get delayed you know I think this year has been really great for people understanding that there's a human cost to getting a game out on time if it's not ready to come out on that date you know it's I think we're starting to become more understanding of games being delayed because we're no longer adopting those really terrible crunch practices. There will always be crunch, you know, as Matt said, that's something that's just part of our industry. That's how, unfortunately, you know, designing a game works. They're just full of lovely hidden surprises for you to find two days before you need to ship out. But, you know, I think as people understand more of that and, and how that works and as it's made more visible, I think, you know, we're, we're going to see companies just being forced to be clearer about how they how they approach mental health, how they approach their, their work environment, whether whether they want to or not, which is lovely. <laughs> I think they were. You're right, Elm. What people are a little bit more accepting of people saying that's going to be delayed six months and it's not the big news that it used to be. It's it's pretty accepted and probably understood as to why that might be. Um, I think the the other I think one day there will be a point where actually if you bring up and say I'm having a lot of anxiety this week it's not going to be any different to ringing up and saying I've got tonsillitis I'm not coming in you know I think I think we will get to that I think we're probably not there yet but I think um, I think that's where people are heading and I think that's where companies are getting to Meanwhile, I think what also works really well is employee resource groups, like uh, where you've got a minority group or a group of like-minded people that want to talk about something together, getting them together in a company um, or in the industry, actually, it doesn't have to be in your own organization, it can be actually more within the industry, is a really nice opportunity to talk to people about how you're feeling and to see that it's not, you know, it's not something that's unique to you, it might be something that other people are struggling with as well or other people have the same feelings and they want to change something so um things like you know you see it obviously with women's groups but you see it with other minority groups in certain industries and certainly in our industry where people get together and and try and raise the profile of the issue of whatever they're talking about Um, and that could be the case of a minority group or a mental health issue or or anything like that Um, and seeing more and more of that grow in the industry is, is only a positive thing. I wanted to follow up on something that you both said, and which is the public awareness of um, those issues within our industry. Um, I'm always wondering uh, to what extent there's a, a higher level of awareness within our industry, because that certainly is the case. We're talking about these things more, and that is, that is good. And to what extent this is then also um, talked about, uh, you know, in the more general public. Um, so d- do you really think that, um, you know, topics like mental health in the games industry, like the way we crunch, are topics that I would say the average player cares about when they're waiting for their game? Are they doing it more than they used to do this? Or is that more a topic that, that we are um, getting more aware of in the industry, but not so much externally? I, I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. 
I mean, I think I've definitely seen an increase in players um, caring about crunch. So, you know, it, when games used to be delayed, it would be terrible. You know, we do have a huge problem with toxicity in the games industry. We do have, you know, a, a, a player base that uh, unfortunately a significant minority of is incredibly unpleasant online. And they used to, you know, go out of their way to target uh, companies to target individuals from companies when games were delayed or you know were not as finished as, as perhaps a company would like that hasn't necessarily changed entirely <laughs> that definitely still happens. Not, yeah. but you know I one of the things I've been really surprised to see is as we've seen kind of a, you know this year's slate of games pretty much all pushed back is to go and look at the comments on say Twitter underneath an article announcing it or underneath the company's kind of Twitter post announcing it and there will be scores and scores and scores and scores of players who come and say please don't crunch for us like please make sure you're taking care of yourself you know I, I hope this doesn't mean you're all going to be forced to work horrible hours for the next six months and that's something I've never seen before this is so so new to me in the games industry because I've never you know people just genuinely aren't aware of the enormous amount of work that goes into making games just the the sheer technical intricacy of it of course they appreciate that you know it's it's software that it's it's difficult to do that it involves coding you know on a, on a kind of very general sense but I think you know as we've kind of um, gotten a, a tiny tiny bit less secretive as an industry and therefore we have seen, you know, if you look at something like Red Dead Redemption 2 and we saw kind of quite detailed um, explanations of just the sheer number of hours that went into it, that it was years and years and years of thousands and thousands and thousands of people working to create a game like that. People are starting to understand the sheer volume of, of work, of hours, of, you know, people's lives that go into these games. And so I have been really surprised to see that actually, you know, at, at a consumer level, people are starting to be aware that when a game is delayed, this could now mean the worst six months of that team's life as they are forced to now work hours and hours and hours and hours to get it ready. And so just the fact that people are starting to express concern for that is really heartening for me. It's really exciting to see, you know, that kind of connection between consumers and, and creators as they understand the work that goes into it and, you know, why it's it's just unbelievably unpleasant for you to come and shout at somebody on Twitter who's already feeling terrible and perhaps facing a, a really unpleasant, you know, yeah. a really unpleasant period of crunch. And so, yeah, for me personally, I would say I've seen a, a huge change in the last, you know, particularly this year, but the last couple of years. Would you go as far as saying that um, players are not going to buy games anymore from companies that have bad practices in that regard? No. <laughs> because, you know, we saw that and I was very interested to see this because, you know, um, people do say that, you know, they say, oh, I'm not going to buy, you know, I, I've heard this, I've heard that, you see it on Twitter. We haven't seen that reflected in sales mm. figures, I don't think, um, anywhere. So I, I would hope that that's the case in the future. You know, mm, I think we're at a period of it being more visible but perhaps not impacting sales so much. But, you know, as the games industry grows, as we have more studios, as we have more, um, you know, a wider selection of games from pe for people to choose from, you know, I, perhaps in the future, we will start to see that impact as people can can make that choice. But right now, you know, I think it's, um, I don't want to say lip service because I think it's genuine. I think it's genuine concern from players, from consumers. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's genuine concern for a game they're very excited about and will probably buy anyway. Yeah. They're more connected, though, aren't they, to the studios than they've ever been before. I mean, our communities are incredibly vocal and incredibly passionate about the games they love. 
So they tell you if they're happy with something and they really tell you if you're not if they're not happy with something. But um, but that's brilliant because you get that amazing feedback direct from people and through Twitter and, you know, social media and Facebook and, and all those, you know, different areas, you, you can connect to the people that make the games more than ever before. So I think um, I think pe- I agree with what else. I think people care more, but also they have more opportunity to understand what goes into making those games and how to connect with those people. Um, so they probably would give companies a part of time, but um, that then feel more connected to the studio and compassionate about how the studio have made that game, I would say. Do you feel that, um, you know, the transparency that you that you see sometimes about issues like like crunch and so on and and the struggles that uh, uh, you know that, that you have in getting a game done and what what kind of community feedback you you want to incorporate in your game is that adding to the mental health um, uh, topic is, is, is that creating more issues of you as a developer work on a title and then you have community feedback coming in and they tell you how bad your game is and 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 you know how much they hate one of the features you develop is, is that adding to the pile of like pressure you put on yourself uh, as a developer what do you think I don't, I don't think so because i think it gives you more of an opportunity to make something that people love more than ever before you listen to those comments and that feedback and you can make a change and it used to be you know 10 20 years ago you'd have to buy a new game to get the change now it's a download it's a patch so it actually gives us more opportunity to react to what people want and what they're saying than we've ever had before so I think, if anything, it just gives us more opportunities to make something that people love playing. Mm, I think it's the same in lots of industries, isn't it? You get social media means that you get sort of real time critique of everything that you do and you get it personal and you get it direct. I think the the broader sort of macro positive effect is the connection between fans and uh, which in this case are game players and those that are in the industry that make the game. So I suppose that's the, it, it's a, a double-edged sword, isn't it? There's a positive side um, in terms of that connection, but then you are getting real-time feedback. So, But everyone gets that in all elements of their lives now mm-hmm. um, with social media. But Do you think, um, Al, do you think it's a generational aspect to it as well? You, you were talking about... So the way the the um, the gamers seem closer is that is that generation think that's changing with generations and maybe are they more empathetic sympathetic uh, generations or do you think it, yeah I, th- you know, is that... I think definitely I think it's kind of two aspects so I think one um, much as I hate to kind of play into stereotypes of kind of millennials and younger generations but there is kind of a sense of entitlement which is one side which is kind of the bad side and it's that's I think where we see some of the um, a really toxic sense of ownership where you know if you if you take something like um the last of us the the most recent release some of the things that the developers were sent for that were horrific threats to their children threats to their life really horrific threats of sexual violence to the to the female voice actors because they were unhappy with how that that game you know was written which was and if you read any of it the developers really tried to shine a light on it and share that that's horrendous and you know and it, and it is kind of this sense of ownership that comes i think with our our generation unfortunately is is that sometimes we are a little bit entitled and we do feel a little bit like we own the things that we love i think we perhaps have fandom in a way that we've never seen before but then i do also believe that our generation is more empathetic than older generations that it is you know um more 
it is just genuinely more understanding there's you know less stigma around mental health there's less stigma around being open and vulnerable and you know revealing your emotions and, and that kind of thing and so it, it kind of stems from two different sides one is a side that genuinely really cares and is interested and is you know is growing up in a society that's perhaps a little more a little more empathetic a little more open than than previous generations and then one side is unfortunately this kind of entitled ownership of things you love of things you are a fan of and and that's where the toxicity comes in which i you know it, it is terrifying absolutely terrifying some of the stuff i've seen you know i uh, kind of dabble in voice acting in games i've done a few in the last couple of years and seeing some of the things that the voice actors were sent from the last of us made me terrified terrified you know real horrific horrendous things that they were sent for for voice acting in a game that they didn't write that they weren't you know and so it was just you know i i think it kind of unfortunately splits it splits two ways so l sam matt i could go on talking about this topic for hours <laughs> with you guys um but uh, uh i really want to thank you for the time you uh, spent today uh, discussing mental health and, and related topics and i hope that at some point uh, you know we can meet in person again when this uh, you know <laughs> pandemic allows us to do that uh, maybe next year's defcom would be a, a great opportunity to do that, that would be um, great. I, I certainly enjoyed uh, the conversation with you i hope you did too and uh, i'm pretty sure that our listeners are going to enjoy hearing us talking about um you know mental health and uh, related issues as well uh, and i also wanted to point out again that if you want to uh, get information on uh, mental health awareness then uh, go to safeinourworld.org uh, i think that's the correct website <laughs> if i recall yeah it, that's right yeah, if I call yeah. It right um and uh, yeah, i think there you find everything uh, you need to uh, help you uh, deal with those issues and, and i guess they can also reach out uh, to you directly so again uh, thank you uh, for your time today uh, it was an absolute pleasure Thanks You're very welcome, much. Ash. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a DevCom podcast produced by Sven Fossing. Executive producer, Stefan Reichardt. Music by WeLoveIndies.com. Supported by Bayer Dynamic. High quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.